So yesterday, our family shape also changed. I'll show you a picture. I sent this to Sean earlier. Yeah. So this is Bluebell, and she is a very cute blue border collie, and she kept us up all night. And as we received her with gifts, we were also greeted this morning with various gifts in different locations. Sarah and Esther are at home trying to bring some order. I'm hoping to go home to a perfectly trained dog. I may be ambitious. Uh, Sarah said this morning when we received the various gifts that had been left for us overnight, I thank God that she's cute. When you look at something this pretty, it's hard to be incredibly annoyed or angry, although equally the photo doesn't carry the sense of aroma that uh, we were greeted by this morning. I tell that as a story, but it is also an introduction. Last week, I introduced the idea that over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to live well. Jesus said, come to me, follow me. He also said, learn from me. Last week, I had a prop. It was a trellis that gardeners are familiar with. And I said, we're going to be looking at, at something that looks kind of like a trellis. There are books that, that expand in more detail that talk about what they term a rule of life. Many of us wince at the idea of the word rule, but actually rule comes from the Latin, which basically means trellis or framework. It exists to shape the fruit. The fruit doesn't exist for the trellis. So what, are the, what is the trellis in our life that we could give attention to that would enable us to be more fruitful? And it's found in Jesus when he said, listen to me, learn from me, walk with me. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And last week I introduced it. Friday was my day off and I went swimming and I went to the gym and I met a man that I'd met a few weeks earlier. I won't name it by name, but I had a fairly in-depth conversation with this person a few weeks ago. When someone comes out of the gym and they're puffing and panting, they've obviously worked quite hard. This person was, in my mind I was thinking, my goodness, this guy has exhausted himself. He looks terrible. I didn't say that to him. I said, how are you doing? He said, good, I've just worked really hard. I was thinking, I know, you look like you're about to drop. He said, I'm deliberately burning 700 more calories a day than what I'm consuming. I've been doing this for this period of time. He said, I'm incredibly faint. I'm very dizzy. He looked terrible. The idea that if you exercise, you'll look good. Not for this. He said, I'm, I'm starving myself. I'm doing this, this, this. And this guy tells me all these details. He said, I'm trying to, to get down to weigh this number. And he mentioned a number. He said, if I can weigh that number, he said, then I'll be happy. But he was saying it was such unhappiness on his route to this magic number. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's a whole lot more going on here. So I just let the guy talk, as you do. And he told me how he had several masters and a PhD, and he had tried this, and he traveled here, and he traveled. And I'm listening to this guy thinking, you keep trying to do things to make yourself happy. And now, we're sat in the jacuzzi by the swimming pool at the YMCA, uh, and I've not broken the sweat you've broken, 
And without comparing happiness, I'm listening to this guy thinking, wow, I'm unhappy listening to this guy's path to being happy. And I said to him, after listening for a long time, I said, when you get to that number, I said, do you you really think you'll be happy? And it was a painful but poignant question to ask. Because he clearly has been exhausting himself in this particular trajectory. And now I'm asking him this obvious question of which the straight answer is probably not. I said, what are you going to do then? Which was a tease because he didn't have an answer. I said, for me, happiness, yes, it's partly found in, in how we live. But it's also found in life that's bigger than just what goes on inside of me. It's it's about what I believe that's a whole bigger story. I believe in God, and I believe his name is Jesus. I said it just like that. He said, I meditate. I said, I pray. And I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes, I'll try anything. So a few weeks ago, I started praying for this guy. I've seen him twice since. I saw him on Friday, and I said, I said his name. I said, I've been praying for you the last two weeks. How have the last two weeks been? Now, this is the point where you hear these kind of stories, and you're waiting for me to tell you they were brilliant. He said, the last two weeks have been even worse. They've been terrible. I said, I'm so sorry. I will stop praying for you. And he looked at me like, no, no, don't do that. Maybe I need to pray more. I tell you this story because sometimes we're not happy, and sometimes we smile, pretend that we're happy, and someone greets us, and how are you doing? And we go, yeah, we're great. And sometimes we're not, and maybe that's okay, but I want to look at what Jesus says in terms of the mind and the body and the spirit, aware that all of them are important. This is, again, I'm going to say this, this is not a self-help series, although there will be some tangible application where I'm going to ask you to answer some questions and consider. The reason for that is because... These passages, when Jesus is saying, learn from me, he's not saying, I want you to observe from me. He's saying, I want you to apply the teaching. So I am going to invite you to interact with some of the content that we're going to look at and answer the question of, what are you doing well at? What are you not doing well at? Do something about it. Jesus is always looking for participation, not us just to spectate from the sidelines. But what does it mean to be happy? I'm still praying for the guy in the, in the pool. I, I'll see him again, no doubt, and continue the conversation. Let me begin with this question. If you could ask God one question, I want to say, God, let's, let's put flesh on it. If you could ask Jesus one question, any question at all, I wonder what you might ask him. Matthew 22. I think we'll put this passage on the screen. Somebody had this opportunity. It was a teacher of the law. It was a clever person. Clever people sometimes ask good questions. Sometimes they don't. But this person had the opportunity to ask Jesus a question. I'll read it from the screen. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, him being Jesus, with this question. He said, teacher, which greatest commandment in the law? In some ways, he's asking him, tell me about the religious order of things. But Jesus answered it in a different way, as in, what's the most important thing that you should do? Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard people that do jobs like mine give sermons on passages like this, where they talk about the two most important things that you can do is love God and love others. That's true. But there's this slight phrase at the end of this passage that we don't often pay much attention to. Sean, put it back on the screen for us, please. The, the, the end. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the challenge. What if you don't love yourself? It's all well and good to love God. That makes sense. And loving others. We see people in terrible need. When you see someone in need, it's hard not to be moved with compassion to love them. But love yourself? Now, it's true. You've probably met people in life that like themselves too much. They're really annoying to be around. But for many of us, love yourself. That's, that's a challenge. And I want to look at that. I want to see what does God say. So we're going to start, we're going to talk about mind, body, and spirit. So we're going to start with mind. Let me make this as an introductory comment. I come from England. We're in the part of the U.S., known as New England, there are some interesting cultural similarities between the two. In England, we talk about the stiff upper lip. We tend to live quite private lives. We don't talk about money or politics publicly, and we deal with grief privately. We play emotional things down. We kind of conceal them. So when we start talking about mind or mental health, where I come from, sometimes there is a stigma that this is something that happens to someone else over there, but not me. I know someone who's very wise, who actually is uh, uh, an advisor on this, on this very subject. And he said something that I thought was a great leveler for those that sometimes assume that that's something that happens to someone else. He said this, if you are alive, which you are, in the same way that you have a physical health, you have a mental health. We are all on the scale of physical health and mental health. I find that actually quite helpful just to say, okay, we're all in this. This is applicable for us. God, what do you want to say to us? So mind, love yourself. There aren't many people that look in the mirror and go, my goodness, I like what I see. There are some, but lots of people look and go, oh my goodness, really? When did that happen? I'd sometimes pick something up. We've moved lots of boxes, far too many boxes. And things hurt that didn't used to hurt. Um, someone's saying, just wait. Where's this going to go from here? Sadly, disliking yourself is really, really common. Being uncomfortable with yourself. Not believing in yourself. Some statistics Self-hatred, as defined by psychologically today, said this. Self-hatred encompasses continued feelings of inadequacy, guilt, and low self-esteem. People may compare themselves to others, perceive only the negative in themselves, and ignore the positive, and belief that they will never be good enough. This isn't 
a terminology that's foreign. This is a terminology that's common and frequent and often in us and around us all the time. Self-harm among children has risen dramatically in recent years. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., particularly high amongst under-40s. We, the human race, have a problem. And we also have a hope. And I believe his name is Jesus. I don't say that in a trite manner, as in if I just say the name of Jesus, all those things will go away. Jesus joins us in our suffering, in our best moments, and in our worst moments. I love that Jesus sees us as we are and invites us to join him in that moment. Often, there is an expectation that when you change, you then receive the invitation. But one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture said, God so loved the world that he sent his son. If you consider the first half of that sentence, God so loved the world as it was in its brokenness, in its flaws, in its messed up. Why on earth do you think like that way? And in that moment, God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. The parable of the son who goes away and comes back says, and and the father in the story is God, says while the son was still a long way off, he did not wait for him to be close, perfect, for his spill of, I'm sorry, I messed up. While we were broken and way off mark, God leans in and says, I like you. I love you. We don't have to pass an exam to get in. So where does this go? What does Scripture tell us about this? Ephesians 1 verse 5. This is a New Testament writer describing what Jesus has done for you and me in our brokenness. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Sonship, which also means sons and daughters. Next passage, we'll look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The gift of Jesus makes us sons and daughters. Not just forgiven and changed and helped and healed, but sons and daughters. I want to consider this for a moment. My nine-year-old daughter likes to paint. She recently painted this. It's quite good. For many years, our, our fridge has had a variety of paintings. Most of them are never going to hang in a famous art studio. But as a father, my love isn't based on the quality of her work. I'm a father. I love my children. Where we lived in the apartments behind us is a park, and it's a great park for sled riding in the winter and learning to ride a bike in the summer. And lots of parents would take their kids there to learn to ride a bike. If you've ever seen a child learn to ride a bike, or if you can remember learning to ride a bike, you're wobbly at first. You fall off. I learned to ride a bike in the era where we didn't have knee pads and arm pads, and we just went with the bumps and bruises. I've watched lots of parents try and teach a child to ride a bike. 
I have never seen them boo when the child falls off, but I see them cheer when they try. When they're wobbly and when they just go 10 feet and then 15 foot, parents are cheering. No one's booing and hissing when they fall off. That's the heart of the father for the children. That's the right response. In your brokenness, God isn't booing. He isn't assessing you. He isn't grading you. He's cheering you on because that's what a father does. And you may not have had a good experience with an earthly father, but Jesus wants to introduce you to a heavenly father who sees you differently. So the mind. Last passage on the subject of mind. Let's put this on the screen. 1 John. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are children, and we are being changed. We will be changed. For those of you that like the biblical term, analogy, there's this word sanctification, which means becoming more like Jesus. We haven't made it. We are on a journey we will be. We are sons and daughters. If you said yes to Jesus, if you've received the gift of Jesus, then you're sons and daughters. And even that changes all of our mind, or it can do. So, mind. Moving on. Body. This is an interesting one. Let's look at this passage. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Body. The body that you're living in. This is the thing that you see when you look in the mirror. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Your own. You are not your own. Body. Lots of people struggle with this. This is the thing they don't like. They can like themselves internally, but they don't like what they look like. We're not comfortable. You're not your own. Prayed at the beginning that when Jesus is talking about filling this space, he's not talking about an address, a zip code, a building, a temple, or even a hill, as sacred as some of those places have been in the past. He's talking about this body. He says, You are not your own, but you're bought at a price. He loves you, he likes what he sees in you, and he wants to fill your body. But there is a responsibility. We know this. You only get one of these in this life, at least. This is the one that I got, and you've got the one that you've got. You may look at someone else and wish that you could swap, but you can't. This is what you've got. What does it mean to be a good steward of this? This trellis idea of the framework. If this is the body that you've got, if you look after it, it will serve you well. If you don't, it won't. This is obvious. Food and drink. The quality of the food and the quality and the frequency of drink. Most things are okay in some moderation. Most things are not okay outside of moderation. We know this. You've heard this before. Exercise. I told a story about going to the gym. I need to exercise more now than I did 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I could do anything. I'm 42. Uh, when I was 22, I could do anything at all. I deliberately try and exercise. Not because I want to win any awards or anything, but because... I want to look after my body because I want my body to serve well as a good 
temple of God. And as a good steward, I want to be a good parent. When the kids want to play, I don't want to be too old and frail to be able to do that. Look after your body. Give consideration to what you eat and drink. Sleep. The puppy cried all night. And I had this, do you go and sit and smooth the puppy? And if you do this, by the way, guess what you're doing tomorrow night and the night after? Or do you shut the door? For those of you that are wondering, I feel quite fresh this morning. Had a good night's sleep. We shut the door. (laughs) Stress. This is a big one. This is a really big one. Of course, we know that we shouldn't eat McDonald's every day. And if you can afford gym membership, that's a good idea too. We know that. Stress. This is a challenge. We're going to look at this more in future weeks. We have to give consideration to how this is affecting the temple of the Holy Spirit that is our bodies. When we are torn in so many different directions, then we're just not going to be good versions of ourselves to the people that we love, to our friends and neighbors, and to ourselves. We have to give consideration to that. We're going to look at that more in future, future weeks. And then personal care. This is going to sound so silly to say this, but I'm going to say it. Caring for yourself, hygiene, looking after yourself, suntan lotion, when it's roasting hot on those few times when that happens. This is the only body you've got. Look after it. Care for your body. And then lastly, the third element of this morning. I talked about mind for our body. I want to talk about spirit. This is harder to define, but even people outside of the church would nearly always acknowledge that there's something bigger than themselves that they sometimes sense. I would describe that as the spirit, the life inside of us that was there at the beginning and will be there beyond this body's life expectancy when it comes to the end. Of which for all of us at some point it will. The spirit. I wrote this down. We are spiritual beings living in human bodies. Sometimes we think about it the other way around. We think that the body is the most important thing. It is important, but it's kind of a passing thing that looked great for a certain moment and then will age and will get frail and then it will stop working. But there is a spirit inside of us that lives beyond that moment. I read this this week and I wrote this down because I felt that it had a strong sense of connection with some of the people I've spoken to recently. Many of us feel utterly ransacked. We are waylaid by endless demands and stifling routines. Even our vacations have a panicky task-like edge to them. If only I had more time is the mantra of our age. But is this the real problem? I don't believe it is. Yes, we should organize our calendars better. But we've missed something of the rest of God. And when I say the rest of God, I mean the rest of being with God and knowing him. In the beginning of the Bible, he said, I want you to take one day in seven. And we're going to look at this in future weeks. To pause and to be still and to rest. And in doing so, you'll recover. In doing so, you'll be more present. How do we do this? What does this look like? I'm going to look at a passage from the message translation. Matthew 11, verse 28. says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? 
Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced, because this is not rules, rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So what does this look like? To consider the spirit within us. Let me show you a photo. This fairly average chair that I picked up from TJ Maxx for $129 is in the corner of my room. To the side of that is the bed. Some chairs exist, collect items of clothing from the night before. I don't know if any of you have had those kind of chairs before. This chair is a prop, is a sacred space. In the morning, I sit in this chair. I've got the daily reading. Uh, This is not a rule that's a religious trapping, but this is a rhythm that I put in place every morning. Sit there and just pause before the noise of the day comes at me. And my mind goes in one direction, my body goes in another direction, and my spirit I've forgotten to give any attention to. This is where I sit, and I pray, and I ponder. I'd like to tell you I pray for four hours a day. I don't. It's sometimes a few minutes on the way to the next thing, because this child's getting the bus here, and Sarah needs the car for this. And now we've got a puppy that's leaving parcels in various locations. It's part of normal life. But there's a sense of intentionality where I say, God, I recognize that there is a, a bigger picture inside of me, the spirit of me and the spirit of you that I want to be aligned, and I don't want to just run into activity. So for me, it's a chair in the corner of the room, and it exists for that purpose, and as yet, it doesn't exist to store clothing. Long may that continue. For some people, it's a kayak. And there's a river. For other people, it's a walk with a dog. For some people, it's something completely different. My grandparents always pray together at the end of the day. There is no rule that you need to put into place. But I will say this to you. If you create a rhythm where you give attention to the Spirit of God and the Spirit inside of you, and you can call it a quiet time if that language makes sense for you or you can call it some chair time or just time to have space and to pray when I say pray speak and listen whatever you need to do do it it will make a difference it absolutely makes a difference and changes my day on the few times when I've missed that moment because something came along and I had to just grab my shoes and run something's different give attention to the spirit Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. This is God giving us an invitation. Many people say, I don't know God. I don't sense God's presence. It's all well and good to hear these stories, but that doesn't happen to me. How good are you at being still? 
Most of us like activity. In Western culture, we celebrate activity and achievement. God isn't saying, achieve more, and then I like you. He's saying, I like you as you are. Be still, and in the stillness of that space, sometimes there is a sense of God that's profound. Be still and know that I am God. I want to bring this together with an analogy that's found in Genesis. Today I've talked about the mind and that God wants to love you and help you. And the body, that he wants us to be responsible as guardians of the one body that he's given us. And while you can't swap it with someone else, make the best of what you've got. And then spirit, give attention to it. I'm going to pull those together with one analogy. In the first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis, which means beginnings, there is a story where God creates a beautiful garden, and it's perfect. And God puts a man and a woman into it, and he says this, I want you to tend the garden. I want you to look after it. I want you to be custodians or stewards of the garden. Tend means to, to apply oneself, to act as an attendant, to listen, to care for, to be a caretaker of. When something is well cared for, in the context of this parable, this story, a garden, it bears fruit. When a garden is not cared for, it doesn't bear fruit. Using that lens to see your mind, your body, your spirit, I want to encourage you to tend to the garden of your mind and of your body and of your spirit. I can't do that for you. No one can. But if you tend to it well, as God richly gives you opportunity and says, tend to this garden, if you tend to it well, it will bear fruit. It will be lush. It will be beautiful. It will work quite well for you. If you don't, it won't. And we've all seen a house that maybe you knew and it was beautiful and it changed hands and you drove past it years later and it's not being cared for and there's weeds and there's mess. And God in his generosity, if not craziness, gives us free will. I want you to tend to the garden. So I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to put these on the screen. Under your chairs, we did this last week. There's a piece of paper and a pen we're only going to stay here for a moment, and then I want to pray for some people. This is personal. You're not handing these in. They're not being graded. No one's going to see them. This is not like the test where you pass the papers with the person next door, and you see who got the most right or wrong. But I do want you to consider the ideas that we've looked at today, the subjects of mind, body, and spirit. And I want you to give yourself a true answer, a grade, a one out of five, one being terrible, five being fantastic, I should teach on this subject. And it's simple. The quick answer is probably the right answer. We're not going to labor too long here. First question. Do you like yourself? This is the mind. This is what you see in the mirror. This is what you hear. We're going for one to five rather than yes or no. Because with a number 
there's the potential for movement. And I believe that God makes movement possible. Second question. Do you care for your body? This is self-care, hygiene, makeup, suntan lotion, diet, exercise, food. Do you, are you looking after it? Are you stewarding it? And then the third question. When was the last time you were still? And that is more narrow as a question. That's not a one to five. That's a today, this week, this month. I can't remember. What I want you to do with your piece of paper, and it's a private piece of paper, is I want you to take it home, and I want you to consider, God, what do I need to change? To use the trellis and the tending to the garden analogy once more, what do you need to adjust? What do you need to give attention to? I said last week that often big changes happen because of small forks in the road. I made a slight adjustment, and we went in a very different direction. This is, this is what we're looking at here. So, put your piece of paper in your pocket or in your Bible or something. The application of these messages is not in the Sunday morning experience. It's tomorrow and the next and the day after. So, I want you to apply change as you need to in the week, and we wish you well for that. But I do want to pray for some people. Why don't we stand? The musicians are going to come back, but we're, I want to make space to pray for some, and why don't you close your eyes because I don't want you to respond because of my words but if the Holy Spirit was highlighting aspects today and for those of you that are familiar with the Holy Spirit you'll know that for those of you that aren't sometimes it's, it's, it's like a gentle nudge and for some it's, it's when we were talking about the mind and your mind is, is not as it it's not as it should or could be. Maybe you don't like yourself. Maybe self-harm. Maybe you think thoughts that you really wish you weren't thinking. And today I want to pray for people who need help with the mind. And for some, it's the body. It may be that you're struggling with something in the body it may be any number of things but you probably know what it is and your body needs your body needs a God intervention and then for others it's the spirit you recognize that you've been so far off course that, that you just keep missing God more than you connect with him If that's you, I want to invite you, and there's some movement in this. I want to invite you to leave your chair and come forward to my right, your left. Myself and the prayer team, we will pray for you gently. We won't ask you any private, personal questions, but we'll pray for a God intervention. Sometimes we do this, and people know that they could respond, but they don't. I had an interesting conversation on Wednesday. You can open your eyes now. I'll say this as we move in this direction at the Alpha course someone came along who said I 
not convinced in the God idea, I'm a scientist. He said, but there was a time I was in church, it was this church, it was a couple of years ago, and some people went forward for prayer, he said, and I saw something changing, and I can't understand that, and I can't process that with my scientific brain, which is partly why I'm here doing this Alpha course. So if there are non-Christians that are convinced in the power of prayer, then we should be too. So if you need prayer for the mind, the body, or the spirit, please come forward, we'll pray for you, and we're going to sing and worship.